This is Chris. Welcome to episode number 28 of X-Lapsed, where uh, I'm going to do my best not to uh, be hiccuping the entire show. Um, Growing up, my mother would say that if you woke up with hiccups, you would have them all day. And uh, I don't know if there's any empirical science to that, but uh, you might be able to imagine how my day has been (laughs) just by saying that. Uh, Today, we're going to be discussing New Mutants, volume four, number three. And uh, New Mutants was at, like, the tippity-top of my favorites uh, for the first couple of waves of the uh, Dawn of X books here, but I heard that this one might might be a little bit different. Um, I assumed that it would be all about the Shi'ar and Deathbird and Lalandras and all that. I think we're about to have a rug yanked out from under us. Uh, let's hop right into it. As stated, this is New Mutants, Volume 4, Number 3, had a February 2020 cover date. The story's called To the Grave, written by Ed Brisson, or Brisson, art by Flaviano, colors by Carlos Lopez, letters by VCs Travis Lanham, designs Tom Muller, head of X Hickman, edits Biso White-Sapolsky, cover price $3.99, and went on sale December 11th, 2019. And as I just alluded to, we don't quite pick up where we left off last issue. In fact, we're not anywhere near Shi'ar space, uh, which uh, is usually something I'd consider to be a good thing, but uh, makes me wonder just what are we in for here? So we're on Krakoa, and we're with Armor and Glob Herman, who are discussing how they felt upon finding out they were mutants. It almost seems mean for Armor to talk about how she felt. She says she feels like her life was over, or she initially felt that way. Considering, I mean, she still looks like a normal human being and not a uh, chewed-up piece of bubblegum with organs like Mr. Herman. Now we cut to them hanging out at Carousel, where, you know, nobody seems all that bothered that their leader was recently shot in the head. Uh, They are all dancing. And uh, while Armor laments the fact that not everyone who was summoned to Krakoa has taken up the invitation... Glob decides to break away and dances a little bit with Pixie. So, you ready for three comic-less pages? Let's do it. First, our roll call. We've got Armor, Glob, Sage, Boom Boom, and whatever a Maxime and Manon are. Then our double page spread of creds, and uh, it does find us with a whole new creative team than we're used to for New Mutants. And once comics return, we rejoin Armor. And she's hanging out with Sage at one of the monitor stations, or whatever they are. They're reconciling invites with arrivals, and they're doing so alphabetically by surname. You know, Bishop, Lucas is here. Blair, Allison is also here. 
Bohusk, Barnell, however, is not. Now, Barnell Bohusk is, of course, Beak from the Morrison run. He's the one who knocked up and married Angel. Not Warren Worthington. Angel Salvador, who totally wasn't created just to confuse us every time she was mentioned. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's exactly why they named her that, but let's move on. So, Beak and Angel never answered Professor Xavier's invite. And this troubles Armor for reasons. I don't really remember her being all that tight with Beak. But in fairness, it's probably been a dozen or so years since they might have occupied the same panel space, though, right? Anyway, Armor wants to investigate. Sage doesn't give a rat's ass what she does so long as she leaves her alone. Now we follow Armor back to the new X-Men house, where she and Glob talk about Beak some more. We learn that he's living in Nebraska on a farm. Glob, he's not really into this. He's too distracted by thoughts of Pixie dancing in his head. Armor tells him just to ask her out already, before thinking she might have figured out why, uh, why Bohusk and company chose to remain off-island. And so we stick with Armor for a bit. We follow her again. This time, she heads to the New Mutants' house. And she finds them, well, not home, of course, because they're in space. I feel like more of the Krakoans ought to know this, right? None of them seem to. It's like, hey, where's Doug? Well, he's in space. Well, where's Doug? He's in space. We've heard this so many times. Anywho, Armor is looking for not Doug, but Sunspot. But she only finds Boom Boom, who is busy rifling through Sunspot's things. And I gotta say, aesthetically here, it's still so weird for me to see Boom Boom with long hair. I, I, I never would have recognized her if it wasn't clear, she wasn't clearly labeled as who she is. It just looks like a totally different character. Now, Armor shares the deets of her pending trip to Nebraska and reveals she was here to see about securing some Krakoan meds from Roberto. Tabitha says she'll go with them, but for whatever reason, she doesn't. She does, however, help Hisako score the medicine, though. From here, an info page, and this shows the uh, little cluster community of the young mutants, the uh, Academos Habitat, or the Sextant. It's kind of set up like Fraternity Row or something. Uh, we've got the Delta House, which is occupied by the members of Generation X, the Zeta House, which is occupied by the new X-Men, I'm guessing the Academy X version, uh, Beta House is uh, occupied by the Frost Academy, so I'm assuming Hellions, uh, the Pod is where the Five live. That's, you know, Hope, Elixir, uh, Tempest, uh, Proteus, and Egg. Life Death is the communal area, which sounds like a really cool place to hang out. The Sigma House is the Jean Grey School, of which I can't remember a damn soul. Um, the, maybe it's Brew. Is Brew one of them? Maybe it's him. Uh, Omega House is Redacted. We don't know who lives there. And Alpha House is the New Mutants. Uh, this is actually a pretty cool idea. I, I think this is actually an, a helpful info page. I enjoyed it. From here, we jump to two days later, and we rejoin Armor and Glob. They've secured those meds, and they're headed toward a portal. They're stopped by a pair of gray-skinned children, and this is Maxime and Manon, neither of whom I have the foggiest idea who they are. Apparently, they have the power of influence, and they assure Armor that they can get Beacon Angel to return with them to Krakoa. Armor decides to allow them to accompany them to Nebraska, however makes it clear that she doesn't want Beacon Angel coerced into coming back with them in any way. It has to be their decision. Bada-bing, bada-boom, our quartet arrives in Pilger, Nebraska, at the foot of a sprawling farm. They knock on the door, and 
duh, it's Beacon Angel's place, of course. And they've got something like a half dozen kids, some with wings, some without. Um, it doesn't look like Angel's got her, like, really gross fly wings anymore, though. Um, or maybe they just fold up real tight. Anyway, it's a nice little reunion involving people I never realized actually cared about one another. Um, though, in fairness, Glob was in Zorn's special class with Beacon Angel, so there's that. Uh, armor wasn't even created at that point, but what are you going to do? Now, once all the tea kettles are settled, Beak reveals that they did, in fact, receive Xavier's invite, but chose to remain in Nebraska. Armor expresses that she understands, and uh, what's more, she has a pretty good idea why they stayed, and so she asks if she can see him. Next thing we know, we're in a room with Beak's folks. His father's in a bed strapped to all manner of machine. Oddly, his mother refers to her son as Beak, rather than Barnell. I mean, that's kind of weird, right? I don't know. Anywho, Mr. Bohusk is suffering with something called Taylor Ellis disease. And this is apparently a rare form of dementia. However, if you do one of those quoted Google searches for it, it only brings up this issue. So uh, that's pretty damn rare, isn't it? Uh, so, Armor injects Mr. B with the Krakoan cure-all and lickety-split, he's cured. From here, we jump to an info page, and it's more on Taylor Ellis disease, with the Latin name Munis Motricium Dementia. And uh, Munis Motricium means motor function. Uh, Googling for that doesn't bring up any results either. In fact, if you Google for that, it tries to correct it to Munis Matricium Dementia, which leads us to results showing pseudo-dementia. So I don't know if this is a real thing. Um... Maybe it is. Maybe it's just that rare. Um, I couldn't find anything on Taylor Ellis either, who's apparently a uh, fantasy writer, who this was named after, or a sci-fi writer. Couldn't find anything, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I looked with quotes, <laughs> which is about as much as I can do. Uh, anyway, real or not, this sounds like one scary disease. A very high mortality rate. Not good stuff. So... Dad's cured. We rejoin our heroes later on as they have a coffee break and a chat. Armor tells Beak and Angel that their kids will love it on Krakoa, which causes Beak to peek out the window to see his kids surrounded by a bunch of folks. He asks Armor if uh, maybe she brought some others with them, but she didn't. We get a look outside and we see the Bohusk brood being rounded up by some... like really generic looking hillbillies. I mean, these guys look like complete geeks. It's just... It ain't cool. Um, now, they're threatening to, you know, beat the freaks like you do. Uh, Angel freaks out and blames Armor for bringing them to her door. And so, Armor, Glob, and the Grey Kids head outside to face down the bad guys. Armor takes point as one of the Hicks launch a friggin' rocket at her. Uh, she's nailed, which causes her psionic armor to vanish. You see... This missile was of the power-dampening variety. And I feel like we're getting a whole lot of power-dampening hoodoo in these Dawn of X books. Is it just me? Or am I imagining this? But it seems like we're getting this often. Uh, the issue ends kind of out of nowhere here. Um, it doesn't really feel like a cliffhanger so much as it feels like they might have ran out of pages. Uh, the lead hillbilly, the one with the, uh, the most colorful... <laughs> ensemble he tells armor that they're gonna take it inside so they can negotiate so i guess we're getting another issue of this yay eh? <laughs> yeah that's new mutants number three and whew, 
not what I was expecting. Um, next, we're going to be discussing X-Force number three, but uh, let's talk about this. Um, I would like to start our little talking time segment by taking this opportunity to uh, formally apologize to Deathbird. I was hoping, beyond hope, that I wouldn't have to see you today, but at this point I kind of wish I had. Deathbird, I am sorry for doubting you. It'll never ha- Okay, it'll probably happen again. Just not today. Uh, I'm sorry, Deathbird. From honest and true. From the bottom of my heart. So what in the world was this? Um, this felt very much to me like a throwaway issue of uh, New X-Men. That is, you know, New X-Men colon Academy X. Even down to the more cartoony art. It felt so out of place when compared to, like, basically everything else we've been reading up to this point for the uh, Hox Pox Docs, right? A real throwback, but throwing back to an era that, in my opinion, didn't really matter. Uh, a lot of page filler back in those days. Um, not, not great. Let's start with the good, though. Let's start with the good. The premise. The premise here, I gotta say, is, is pretty neat. Um... You gotta figure it would stand to reason that there would uh, there would be some mutants out there who chose, for whatever reason, not to take Professor Xavier up on his invitation to Krakoa. Putting together a team of mutants that scout those characters out to find out why? Yeah, that could be interesting, I think. Um, I feel like having armor so focused on Beak was a little bit weird and a little bit forced. Um, though, perhaps I am forgetting some key story where they became... Pen pals or best friends or people who traded their sack lunches in the Xavier cafeteria. I don't know. But uh, if we push the forced, forced nature of this event in particular aside, I really dig the, like the concept of uh, you know, just scouting the mutants and finding out why a particular character might have chose not to go to Krakoa. And I figure Armor armor as a point-of-view character is as good as any. Um, she's relatable. She's fine. It's not a big deal. Um, let's talk Tabitha. Now, Tabitha ransacking Roberto's things was kind of odd. Um, I don't know if this was included as an attempt at comedy, or if we're going to be getting, like, a Tabitha's stealing stuff subplot. To be completely honest, I'm not sure which would be worse. Uh, because, A, it wasn't funny... And B, I don't want to waste a whole issue on a New Mutants intervention with Boom Boom. That that doesn't sound fun in the slightest. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the attempts at comedy in the Hox Pox Docs books here, and uh, another swing and a miss. Um, not great. Um, let's talk about the cure. Now, this is a piece of the puzzle that makes me almost a little bit uncomfortable, because it raises so many questions about the roles of superheroes in these comic book universes. Like, all those things we're not supposed to think about, to my mind, anyway. Um, like, you know, if Superman or an X-Men could stop wars with a word, why don't they, right? If, if, if superheroes can cure diseases, why don't they? Here, we have heroes curing diseases which... I'm not quite sure how that makes me feel. Um, you know, my, my grandmother, she suffered with dementia for the better part of the last decade of her life. And I mean, I get fiction, and I try not to be precious when it comes to things like this, but I don't know, I think I'd be lying if I said it didn't get under my skin a little bit. 
it feels um, almost like a disservice. And uh, I don't know. And and I and again, I don't know if this uh, if this you know Ellis disease is a real thing or not. Uh, maybe someone can let me know. But uh, what it led me to was a bit of a rabbit hole that reminded me why I chose psychology as my major in the first place. Um, because you have this pseudo-dementia, and then you have a lot of like the power of positive thinking and the positive of ne- the power of negative thinking as well. And uh, that, to me, was a big catalyst in my choosing psychology as my major when I returned to school in 2011. I believe very strongly in uh, in the power of cognitive thinking, uh, just a, a cognitive psychology, um, and how the way you frame things, the way you view things, has a has a larger impact than one might imagine. Um, you know, let's I talk about uh, my grandmother. You're not to get you know too personal on this show. I try to keep this one more material based, but it felt as though we all knew there was something going on. But it wasn't until we got the the diagnosis that acceptance came, and that's not acceptance from the family. That was acceptance by her, and. Uh, you know, when you accept something as being as being something that will change your life and that you can't fight against, that's kind of when you give up. And I don't know if this disease here was uh, was meant as a nod to that. Um, frankly, I don't know enough about it. My my uh, academic career kind of shifted from you know pure brain science to you know, other realms of psychology in the course of a decade. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is a power of positive thinking sort of thing. I don't know if this is a an allusion to something we're supposed to be picking up on. Um, I don't know. But I, I do feel, you know, personally, I do feel like there is a lot of power in the way you frame the way you think of things. Um, it's, it's funny. I... Uh, in you know 40 years on this planet i have never gotten an iq test you know i've refused i've i've had offers and you know you, you sometimes do the uh, you know you partner up in in higher education and uh, and you try to do the uh, the profiles and stuff like that and i've always refused to get my iq tested because to me that's something i don't think i should know you know, I don't think I should know if, because to me, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a good thing either way. Because if I find out what my IQ is and it tells me that I'm, that I'm low, then I'm going to feel like I have an excuse. And suddenly it's going to be like a self-fulfilling prophecy and I'm going to devolve or maybe not so much devolve, but I will underachieve and on the, you know, conversely, if I find out my number is astronomically good, I'm going to feel like I've been underachieving my entire life. <laughs> so it's just not a good thing either way. But that's, you know, a rabbit hole I wasn't expecting to go down. So that, that might be the best part of this issue is that it caused me to do a little bit of uh, introspection and uh, reflection on, on my uh, academic career. But don't know how I feel about it in the context of this book. I get that it's... That's kind of the deal, you know? Uh, that's kind of... 
that's kind of the whole thing that Krakoa can offer. So we got to take it, right? Uh, as far as the story, um, sticking with the cure, I feel like the cure might have worked a little too fast. Like, it really is a miracle cure, right? Seeing how quickly it worked made me uh, want to, you know, run for my umbrella to, to dodge them fallen shoes. Uh, still, though, uh, solid, I guess, stuff here. Uh, at least it's building on the very premise of the Dawn of X era, so I can't really get mad at it, no matter how uncomfortable it might make me feel. Um, speaking of getting mad at things, let's, uh, let's go to the bad here. The Gang of Hillbillies. Come on. Haven't we seen this before? Like, way too many damn times? This is just so tired. And it feels to me like something that would eat up like eight pages in a random issue of X-Men Unlimited or something. Um, from character designs, if we can even call it that, to the context, it's just so played out. Um, not, not cool. And, and this might just be me projecting, or just uh, being the victim of past, you know, uh, things like this uh, in, in X-Men comics. I feel like it's supposed to, we're supposed to think it's a new thing, you know? Um, that reminds me of the first arc of the Joe Casey Uncanny X-Men run, where we were promised all these new things... And basically, we got, like, a bald dude with a flamethrower trying to react, reenact the uh, you know, the mutant massacre in London. <laughs> it was just like, this isn't this isn't new, this isn't novel, this isn't forward-thinking, this is just more of the same crap. Um, then we have power-dampening missiles. Come on, isn't this like the fourth or fifth or sixth time that someone's been able to dampen a mutant power since we started this run? I mean, is there, like, another black market out there that we don't know about that sells power-dampening dealies by the truckload? Just so played out. Uh, now, even even with all the good things that I mentioned in this issue, it made me think a little bit. It was nice seeing some of these characters. Um, it really doesn't make me look forward to the next issue. Um, and it's got to be the weakest outing for this title yet on, on every front. Uh, the art, I mean, the art's clean and solid, but certainly not up to the standards of Rod Reese. And as mentioned, maybe a little bit too evocative of like the manga light throwaway era of Academy X. That might just be me, and that's fine. But uh, like I said, it's clean, but it's just not what I wanted from this issue. Gotta say, if Fallen Angels wants to keep its bottom slot in my rankings, it's got its work cut out for it this week. <laughs> I really didn't enjoy this. Um, this hasn't been a great week uh, for uh, the X books here. Um, I mean, this is the this is the fourth one of the number threes that we're discussing, and outside of Marauders, we're not getting a whole lot good, uh, which is reminding me of so much of the feedback that I was getting early on in this little uh, X lapsed endeavor where people were fawning over Hoxpox, as did I, for a good portion of it, but warning me that the level of quality does not maintain through Dawn of X. Yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that right now. I'm, I'm still optimistic and hopeful, but I can't say as though I enjoyed this so much. It certainly wasn't the first two issues of New Mutants. Um... 
yeah, <laughs> we'll just grin and bear it, and we'll keep going, I guess, right? Uh, speaking of feedback, let's get to a letter from Damien. And he's going to be discussing another book we talked about, another number three. This is X-Men number three. And, of course, X-Men number three, the entire premise was the Golden Girls were picking Krakoan flowers, right? The old ladies who who uh, <laughs> just weren't very funny. Uh, Damien says, I remember when this issue came out, it was a case of the entire X-Men fandom saying, quote, is this a joke? I genuinely think we were meant to laugh. It was so ham-fisted. Even the fact that he he used old lady names from the wrong generation. They're from my grandmother's era, but they're in their 60s and 70s. Yeah, this was a... That was a toughie. Um, Another swing and a miss when it comes to comedy. It just was not... It wasn't funny. (laughs) I don't know why I feel so bad saying that. Um, I, I, I... The thing about me is I have trouble criticizing... Things that I know I can't do. You know, art, even if the art's not for me, even if the art is technically inferior to another artist, I still feel bad saying something like that because it's not something that I'm any good at. So I feel like I have no right. Same with comedy. Um, I might say a funny thing on accident every once in a while, but comedy's difficult. And uh, sometimes when you see someone trying and failing... You, you feel bad <laughs> And I, I kind of did too um, It just felt so baity the, uh, the old ladies there It felt like it really wanted to be a meme It was very, very baity Of Of perhaps An audience that doesn't exist You know um, Yeah, uh, definitely <laughs> This has been a weak week Uh <laughs> Back to Damien, he says, talking of my era, because uh, we talked about, you know, when we were 12. You know, we talked about uh, how comics and pop culture are great when you're 12, and Damien had shared that 1986 was the year he was 12. So we're going to touch on that here. He says, uh, talking of my era, you're right that the comics in 1986 are great, but I pretty much missed everything you mentioned. My first United U.S. comics were the Marvels with the 25th anniversary border, which were cover dated November 1986. So I started with the Mutant Massacre and the Avengers Under Siege storyline. Daredevil Born Again had finished the month before. As for DC, I didn't discover them for another year coming in with Millennium. Mm. Well, the Marvel side of that was really good. Uh, The Mutant Massacre and uh, Under Siege... um, uh, that's that's definitely up there with one of my fa- as one of my favorite Avengers stories. That was uh, something that I discovered by accident, um, far after the fact. Uh, 1986. I was six years old. I wasn't really reading comics uh, like I would be in a few years, but I did find a uh, like a bagged collection of that run of Avengers comics in I think it was like a five dollar box where. Uh, they just, you know, assorted arcs and storylines together. And I didn't know what they were. I just saw that they were older issues of Avengers, and five bucks was a screaming deal to me at the time. And uh, I grabbed them, and uh, yeah, I fell in love with that run, that uh, that arc. Uh, Under Siege is wonderful stuff. Uh, Born Again, another great um, great story there. That uh, And another one that I, I discovered late, of course. Um... On, across the street at DC, you have Millennium. So, uh, 
yeah, uh, Millennium, <laughs> not my favorite. Uh, not my favorite at all. I had actually... I found Millennium in, I think, the same box that I found Under Siege in. Uh, it was at a, a local shop that was uh, putting together ARCs. And I think I got that for $5 as well and just knew that it was a... I knew that it was a big crossover event for DC, but I didn't know much more about it. And so I bought that, tried reading it, couldn't get into it at all. Um, kind of just put it away for a little while. A couple years later, I tried it again, couldn't get into it for, for you know, not for lack of trying, but I couldn't get into it. Then I started the blog at Chris's on Infinite Earths, and I decided, okay, screw it, <laughs> I'm covering Millennium. And wow, that was a tough tough eight days to uh, to write about uh, Millennium, because if you don't know about Millennium, it's an eight-issue series where only, like, the first and the last issue mean anything. Uh, everything else alludes to events that happened in other books. Uh, Millennium is something like 20-something chapters, kind of like our X of Swords that's coming up, uh, where there is, of course, an eight-issue series of Millennium, but... The other chapters play out in assorted DC comics. You know, you have Detective, Suicide Squad, Action. Every DC comic had a chapter of Millennium at the time, or at least that's how it felt. So you'd have to read everything to get anything out of it, because if you just read the eight-issue Millennium series, it would just give you footnotes to where the where the fun and cool stuff actually happens, because the main Millennium series is not great. Um... We've actually got an episode of Weird Comics History that covers the entire Millennium <laughs> event. And uh, it's probably about four hours long. It's a long one, but uh, maybe worth checking out if, uh, if you're interested in, in a refresher on Millennium. But uh, if you came into DC with Millennium and you stuck around, then bless you. <laughs> I don't know that I would have been able to do the same. Uh, my introduction to DC was with the death of Superman, which uh, was when I was 12. So uh, that was a little bit uh, easier of a landing in this brave new universe than uh, than it might have been with Millennium. Uh, now Damien wraps up his message with, uh, I'm all in for a year of Christmas stories. You could probably do it solely with the X-Men stories. They've got a whole lot of Christmases crammed into those 10 years. So <laughs> that was... Uh, in regards to my mentioning a potential Christmas on Infinite Earths program that I, I was kind of thinking about launching, I still I still might. Um, I've got a lot of uh, new projects that are in the embryonic stages right now. Uh, I'm partnering up with some folks and uh, uh, putting together a schedule right now. Putting together. Uh, working with like format and frequency, knowing when these, how often these episodes will come out, and how we will, I will format them basically. Um, but they will be coming soon. It'll be a late f new fall season <laughs> for this channel. Um, just as a, uh, a teaser, uh, there will be some uh, new universe content uh, for you know Marvel's 25th anniversary uh, to play in with uh, what Damian just said. Uh, so there will be New Universe, there will be ElfQuest stuff, there will be Maze Agency stuff, there might even be some Legion of Superheroes stuff that are, that'll uh, that'll be sprinkled throughout our uh, monthly offerings. So look forward to that. Um, I hope uh, I hope you all are too. That, that sounds like it's going to be a great deal of fun. But uh, maybe we'll get some Christmas stuff peppered in there as well. 
But I think that is where we'll leave it today. Uh, the weakest issue of New Mutants, I can only hope that the second part of this, and, and hopefully the final part of this story, is a little bit better. <laughs> we will see as we get there. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. As I've mentioned a couple times now, I've gotten back into the swing at Cosmic T-Mill on Twitter, trying to uh, trying to share out some stuff from the archives to uh, get some fresh ears and eyes on some content they may not have known existed. So uh, we'll see how that works out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully folks are digging it. Hopefully I'm not annoying people <laughs> and overflowing their, uh, their timelines, but... Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's nice for me to uh, be able to uh, to go back through the archives personally and uh, and pick out some some treats for for the new listeners. So I'm having a good time with that. Uh, you can find all the show notes and the stuffs at chrisoninfiniteearth.com. Xlapse has its own page at xlapse.chrisoninfiniteearth.com. You can find us on Facebook at 90s X Men. Um, what else? The audio archives that are that are they are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You can find thousands of hours of audio for thousands of hours of listening. So if you have a uh, I don't know trip to the moon coming up, you know you you might have some stuff to listen to for your trip. Uh, other than that, I think that's uh, where we'll leave it today. Uh, one more huge thank you to everyone for uh, listening and hanging out and uh, sharing your time with me and uh, and reaching out very very much appreciated uh but until next time when we will be discussing x-force number three i will uh, talk to you again real soon see ya